So what a, what a cool thing that we get to encourage one another. And the way that we do that is by getting into God's Word. So I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. So our ushers are coming around. You can just get their attention. They would love to give you a, a, a Bible that you can use. And if you don't own one, just take that one with you. It is a gift uh, from us. Uh, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We're actually going to do the entire chapter today and uh, just kind of recap, remind you where we've been. Um, we've come out of Egypt and uh, the, the children of Israel have been out in the wilderness now for just a few days and uh, only a few days into the wilderness and they're already struggling with their attitude. Having to learn how to trust the Lord and um, some of them need an attitude adjustment. Now, somebody in your life just popped into your mind right now that you're like, oh yeah, they could use an attitude adjustment. Do not look at the person next to you. Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't want to see any like elbows going on right now. Okay, so here's the deal. When we see the story of uh, the, the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness, this really ought to be like looking in the mirror. Because um, if we're honest, we do this, right? There's so many things that, that we... Um, grumble and complain about when things aren't going our way, when we don't like uh, what's happening. Uh, quite honestly, I wish it was like uh, five degrees cooler in here right now, right? And we, we, we grumble and complain like when it's too hot or when it's too cold or, or when it's raining or uh, when we're sitting in traffic or when I want a closer parking spot or, you know, their customer service was a joke or I don't like my job, I don't like my boss. I'm not making enough money. I need a bigger place. I need some more space. I'm tired of my roommate. I'm ready to sell my kids on eBay. Uh, like, I, 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 you know, my phone is too slow. I can't find something new to watch on Netflix. My schedule's too busy, or I'm, I'm bored, or I don't have time. I wish I could do what they get to do, or I'm tired of waiting for things to get better. I keep praying about it, and how many times I gotta ask God to change this? I'm, I, I'm tired of online dating. I'm tired of my spouse. I, you know, I, 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 I wish that they would just understand me. I don't understand why this is happening. This isn't fair. I'm not being treated right, and on and on and on it goes. We just complain about a lot of things, don't we? But um, I, I, was, I was actually thinking this week that, that sometimes I think complaining becomes so normal for us that we almost don't even realize we're doing it anymore. Like if I were to ask you, um, did you complain about anything at all this week? Like um, you probably would be thinking, a lot of you are thinking, I don't, I don't think so. Like I, I look back on my week. Literally, I did this exercise for myself later in the week and I had to think back and I'm like, I don't think I have. And then exactly that day, like within the hour, I hear myself kind of complaining about little things. It just starts spilling out. And uh, maybe you didn't actually say what you were thinking out loud, but did you get, did you get grumpy this week? Did you get irritable? Could somebody tell that you weren't happy? Even if you didn't say it, even if, 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 even if the words didn't actually come out of your mouth, but, but your kind of demeanor and your attitude was just like, ah, it's kind of the same thing here, okay? So some of us um, maybe need an attitude adjustment because complaining is really uh, a symptom of a heart problem. Here's the big idea of the text that we're going to see this morning. 
Note this. When, when we complain, it really shows we don't trust the Lord. We just don't trust God. Father, I pray that you would um, speak to us from your word right now. And, and I know we kind of joke about this, and, and sometimes it's, uh, it doesn't seem like an, an egregious sin. It doesn't seem like it's really all that bad. And yet, um, this is saying something about our hearts. This is saying something uh, about the way that we're viewing you and our circumstances. And, Lord, I pray uh, this, when, when we're complaining, when we're grumbling, um, we don't look like Jesus. We don't sound like Jesus. And so I pray that you would make us more like yourself. You are not like us, but we long to be like you. And, and we know that you are, uh, you're, at, you're at work. You're doing that. You're, you're changing our hearts so that we would be more like you, that we would reflect Christ even when things don't go our way. So I pray that you would uh, work on us, at least those of us who uh, genuinely need an attitude adjustment, and that we would submit to your will, submit to your authority, submit to the work of the Spirit, that, that you would fill us even now. Uh, that, that what we say, what we do, that we would walk out of here recognizing that you've spoken to us and that you're going to empower us to live this out throughout the week. And so we give you praise for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let me read Exodus chapter 16. We're starting right here in verse 1. We're actually going to read the whole chapter, but I want to start with just a few uh, verses. So let's start right here at the top. It says, they set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now that's a name, okay? Has nothing to do with the English word for sin. Uh, that's a name, the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. A couple of lessons, few lessons we're going to learn from uh, the children of Israel. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Note this. Our complaining comes from a skewed view of our circumstances. It's when we get a little bit off and we're not seeing things quite right that, that we end up complaining. Here, what, what, what's the problem as, as they see it right here? The problem is they're hangry. That's what the problem is, right? Their, their stomachs are growling a little bit, and so they start grumbling. And, and you probably experienced this. We have this in our house. Uh, I have four kids, and um, so, so this is kind of a regular occurrence in our household. That, and, and, and I don't know why this is, but sometimes like we're having a great day and everything's good, and then all of a sudden, like, like out of nowhere, the kids start whining and grumbling, and like they start falling apart. And, and, and sometimes I'm looking at Carissa, I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, are, are, are they just hungry? And sometimes that's legit, right? And, and, and I know that they need uh, discipline when they're having a bad attitude, but sometimes like I, I get what's going on here. They just, the kid needs some food. And, and I don't know, for whatever reason, this always seemed to happen a lot more with our boys than with our girls. All the wives are kind of looking at your husbands thinking, uh-huh. So, so um, 
I, I know in some ways it's easy for us to look and be like, yeah, I get it. Like, I, I understand. But, but the Bible is actually not giving Israel a pass here. Like, it's not their fault. Like, they just need a Snickers and they'll feel better and be a new person, right? But this is, this is really the evidence of a deeper problem going on here. Look what they say. Uh, look, 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 look at what it says in verse 2. It says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against who? Moses and Aaron. So notice what they didn't do. Not one of them dropped to their knees and started praying and asking God to provide for their needs. It's not what they did. Instead, they decided to grumble about it. We saw a couple weeks ago that that word means to, to murmur, to, to make complaining remarks or noises under your breath. You could just kind of hear them like, you're, you're making it obvious that you're not happy by having a bad attitude and complaining. And what they're doing is when we complain, instead of looking up, they're just looking at circumstances. And when we complain, when we grumble, when we murmur, it, it, it gives us this false sense of, of, of control uh, when we don't like what's happening because it kind of makes us feel like we're actually doing something about it, like we're being productive when we're really not. It, 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 most of the time when we're complaining, it's because these circumstances are outside of our control, uh, but our complaining isn't changing anything. It's not doing anything about it. It's not solution-oriented in any way. But when we are complaining, when we're murmuring, when we're grumbling, that's a choice. We're actually choosing to focus on the negative and stockpile all this evidence to justify uh, how I'm feeling and, and, and my response and my reaction to my circumstances. I'm, I'm basically trying to tell you all the reasons that I have to not be happy. So they're complaining, and because we know the story, it's, um, it's easy for us to see that they've just quickly forgotten everything God's done for them, right? Look, how, how, how long has it been now? Look at, look at verse 1. Look at, look at what it says. Here's the time length. Uh, it's been, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about the 15th day of the second month after they departed. Meaning, it wasn't even two months ago that God miraculously saved them out of Egypt and then brought them out into the wilderness. And then last month we saw they were, they, they were just struggling with thirst. They couldn't find any water. Then they did find water, but they couldn't drink it because it was bitter. And what did God do? He made the water sweet so they could drink. He took care of them. He provided for them. And now here they are, just a few weeks later. And what do they say? Verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. Like drama much? Really? Really? We, we, you know, in Egypt, we sat by meat pots and we ate bread to the full. Like at least we had food. I wish we just died in slavery. And, and we're, we're kind of looking at this like, guys, are, are you serious right now? Like, do, do, you, do you remember um, what that was like? Do you, do you remember what you were saying? Do you, do, you, do you remember why God brought us out in the first place? Because we do. Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 2, I've got it for you on the screen. Here, here was the situation. Exodus chapter 2, it said, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And here's what God did. Their cry for rescue came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God 
knew. They were miserable. But God showed them just how much he cared. And he showed them that he was capable of doing something about it, of rescuing them and taking care of them. And then, you know, he literally days after he proved his power to save them from his enemies, he also showed them that he can provide for them by giving them water to drink even in the wilderness. And, and, and here they are, miserable again. And I don't want to just dump on them because I don't like being hungry either, but what they're doing is they're failing to believe what God has already shown them about himself. After everything God's done, like in in, in light of everything that we've seen, do, do do you really think that a little food shortage is going to be a problem for him? Because we know the story, because what we've seen, their complaints in the midst of this situation are absurd. Probably about as absurd, as we've been saying, as it would be for most people in the world uh, if they heard us complaining about our lot in life here in Fairfax. And I'm, I'm not um, belittling what you're going through, and, and sometimes your struggles are legit. I understand that. They're really hard. But if we can be honest with ourselves, a lot of times the stuff that we end up whining and complain about are literally first world problems that most of the people on the planet would much prefer to be dealing with. But we get that skewed view of our situation, of our circumstances. I mean, you're, you're sitting here thinking to the, the Israelites, like, would you prefer to be the Egyptians at the bottom of the Red Sea? You see, a, a, a skewed view of our circumstances loses sight of all the things that we have to be thankful for, and uh, we forget about the one who is with us, that we can trust. Our complaining then means this. When we complain, when we're whining, when we're grumbling about something, we're actually choosing to believe lies about God. And we make wrong assumptions about our circumstances and what we deserve. Who are they, who are they complaining to? They're complaining to Moses. But who's actually leading them? God is. So in some ways, what they're doing is they're um, forgetting that God is sovereign and they're acting like God isn't in control. I think about this. I, I, I know that some of you may be discouraged right now. Some of you may be going through things that you, um, you've been wanting and hoping and, and, and you've been praying about your situation and hoping that things are going to change and it's easy to get discouraged when you don't like what you're going through. But can I ask you a question? Has God lost control? Is anything happening in your life that's taking him by surprise that he didn't see coming? The answer is no. And it means we don't want to fail to believe, or we don't want to believe this lie that we can't really trust that God is sovereignly in control 
over everything that's happening in our lives right now. Nothing, nothing that's going on in your life is taking him by surprise, and he's over that. He knows. I know some of you would say that. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that God is in control, that, you know, he, he hasn't uh, lost the wheel, and he, he's still sovereign over all these things, but um, I'm just not sure that I can trust that he's good. That's what they start complaining about here at the end of verse 3. Look at, what, look at what they say. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us. Really? Is that true? Is that, is that what God's doing? No, that's a lie. And Satan would love for you to believe that about God. That he doesn't have your best interest in mind, and therefore you can't trust him. Is God in control? Yes. Is God good? Church, he is so good. Look at what he's done to save you. When, when we're complaining, really what we're doing is we're, we're believing lies, not only about God, we're also believing lies about what we deserve. Because I start thinking, you know, like, I deserve to, to always be happy and to be healthy and, and, and not be inconvenienced and, and to never have to suffer and to have all of my prayer requests answered when I want them to. I get what I want, when I want. And we, would, we probably wouldn't say it that way, but we start believing that. We start thinking that, that, that that's really what I deserve. But in reality, the, the gospel kind of puts things into perspective and helps me realize that what I really deserve is judgment. I'm a rebellious sinner against God. But because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, instead of judgment, I get his grace instead. That's the perspective that I need to be reorienting my mind around. Is God good? Church, he's so good. And his grace proves it. And everything that I have to be thankful for is an undeserved gift. So here's what I would suggest. The next time you're tempted to start complaining or whining or grumbling about something, think about what Jesus has done for you. The gospel guards our minds from, from having a skewed view of our circumstances. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. It will be shocking to the other people as they're watching you. You're, you're walking through fires and trials and difficult circumstances. And instead of complaining, instead of grumbling, which to them would seem natural, instead of that, there is joy that is gushing out of your life because you understand the grace of the one who is holding you in his loving hands and walking through that with you even in the midst of really difficult circumstances, knowing I have so much to be thankful for and I can trust him. We can trust the Lord. Well, let's keep reading. Verse four. Verse four, the, here's, here's the response. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of God, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. 
And then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Here's the second lesson. Note this. Our complaining reveals our self-centeredness and self-sufficiency. It's going to tell us something about ourselves. Think about this, they're just like a month ago, we're in a similar situation, right? Like they don't have water, this is going to be a problem, they're complaining about it, and God shows up and provides. So, so, so now, you would kind of think that maybe at least one of them would say, hey, you know, maybe we should just ask God. I mean, he's, he's provided before, maybe we should, instead they're like, nah, man, let's, we're, we're all just going to complain about it. And so none of us would fault God if he was like, all right, that's it. Stand back, Moses. I'm going to take care of these jokers. Like, we, we, we wouldn't feel bad about that at all. Because their attitude here is embarrassing. But look what God does, verse 4. Check this out. He says, I am about to rain bread from heaven. That word rain is so interesting because so far in the Bible, that word has been used to describe God's judgment and destruction. We saw this when he uh, rained down hail in the plague against Egypt. That word also showed up in Genesis chapter 7 when when there were 40 days of rain that destroyed the whole earth in the flood. And then in Genesis chapter 9, when when God rained down fire and sulfur in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, so far in the Bible, when God says, I'm about to make it rain, you're in trouble. And, And that would make total sense given Israel's attitude here. But instead of snapping in wrath and anger, God is about to rain down grace on them. And provide for them and give them life-sustaining bread from heaven, even in the midst of the wilderness. That's crazy. He says, so they shall go out and they shall gather a day's portion every day. Here's the reason, that I may uh, test them whether they will walk in my law or not. He's going to test to see if they're going to listen and obey. And he's not just testing to see if they're going to fail. He's he's, he's not wanting them to fail. What he's really doing is trying to teach them that they're going to have to trust him every single day. But he gives them this reminder, verse 8. Moses tells them, 
Your grumbling, it's not against me. Your grumbling is against the Lord. I think it's important that we just acknowledge that complaining is a sin. And our attitude is a direct reflection of whether we trust God or not. It reveals what's going on in our hearts. But even in the midst of that, God's providing and gracious. Look, look, look at what he does. Look at his provision. Verse 13 tells us that there were, um, in the evening time, night, nighttime shows up, there's a whole bunch of quail that covered the camp. So there's these, these birds that are there, and some people see kind of a, a natural explanation for this phenomena. There were migratory birds in this region that just had to fly over a body of water, so they needed a place to land and rest. And I'm fine with that. I just want to say, if, if that's really the case, is it any less miraculous that God would create these quail and instill in them uh, this instinct for migration over this wilderness and then put a sea in the way for them to fly over that would cause them exhaustion and the need to rest in this exact same spot at the exact same time that he now leads his people through the wilderness in need of finding food? This is God's providential care, and it is no less awe-inspiring. But the evidence, the, the, the emphasis um, here is in verse 14. There's this thing that, that Scripture is going to keep coming back to. He says it's this fine uh, flake-like thing, uh, fine as frost on the ground. Later in verse 31, they're going to call this stuff manna. Manna, because it sounds like the Hebrew question that they're walking around saying, man who, man who, what is it? What, what, what in the world is this stuff? And Moses says, we're, we're gonna, we're, we'll, we'll go with bread. We'll call it that. It's daily bread. But here's the deal. Um, I want you to go out and, and, and gather what you need, but just take what you need for today. Little stipulation, verse 19. Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Listen, you're not going to need to bust out the saran wrap and find some Tupperware and put it in the fridge to keep it over. You're not going to have to do that because every single day, God is going to give you more for what you need. So don't keep it overnight. But the minute you give somebody a rule, verse 20, but they didn't listen and some left part of it till morning. Now I know that um, maybe that doesn't, sound like that's all that bad. But can we just ask why? Why? Why couldn't they just trust God every day? See, think what's happening is their complaining is revealing something about their hearts. Who are they thinking about first and foremost? Yeah, they're thinking about themselves. The focus is on me. It's my needs, what I need, what I want, what I've got going on. And so the minute that God sets the table for breakfast, they're like this uh, pack of hungry dogs just selfishly pouncing on it to make sure that they get what's theirs. I, I think about how this happens in, in my house, especially on pizza night. Man, and we love some pizza in my house. And, and I've got four kids, so we've got plenty to uh, you know, have to share around here. And, and what happens when we put that pizza box in the middle of the table and everybody comes, you can, you can like smell it before you even open it up. And then you open it up and the steam's coming out. And you're like, oh, it's so awesome. And, 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 and everybody's about ready to pounce. But there's this split second where everybody starts evaluating the pizza to see which is the best slice, right? Because you don't want that, that piece of pizza that has like way too much crust and looks like they skimped on the toppings. You want, you're looking for the big 
biggest, cheesiest piece of pizza right there, right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I am so ashamed to even tell you this. Like, I'm embarrassed because I'm, I'm the dad. I'm supposed to be sacrificial and, like, taking care of my kids. But when one of my kids starts reaching for the piece of pizza that I'm going for, in my heart, now I would never say, I don't, I don't, I don't get mad, but in my heart, I'm like, don't you dare touch that piece of pizza, that's mine. <laughs> I, am, I am so selfish. Like how, how quickly does my selfishness come out and I'm so focused on me and getting what I want and then, uh, then I don't want to let go of what I have and I end up hoarding uh, what I have and I don't want to give it up just like these greedy Israelites are, are stockpiling manna for themselves for the next day even when they're told not to. And we're selfish. We, we end up getting greedy and stingy and, and trying to sneak more for me and make sure that I've got enough for myself. What it really shows me is that I'm not trusting the Lord to provide for me because I'm not sure that he's going to give me what I want. And I'm not sure that he has my best interest in mind. And so in my heart, I start thinking, well, I have to look out for me. I start living like I don't really need God. Self-centered, self-sufficiency stinks. Quite literally. When they hoarded the manna, look at the text, when they hoarded the manna and kept it overnight, it bred worms and stank. Now, I don't want you to uh, try to visualize that too much because I don't want anybody getting sick, but that is one of those things where you're like, literally like, it's just, it's gross. They can't live without the Lord, and, and God is trying to teach them. He's, he's testing them, but he's trying to teach them how much they need him and the ugliness of their selfishness and their unwillingness to trust him. Misery loves company. And when you're complaining, you probably experience this. It's, it's, um, sometimes it's pretty easy to get contagious, you start whining and complaining and, you know, about something and, and griping and all sorts of people just jump right in there and we all just, you know, start complaining together. But um, you have to know this, that our selfish attitude is repulsive. And we're going to push people away and we're going to hurt them when we're just focused on ourselves and putting our own interests first. So when you're struggling with your attitude, um, complaining or even just getting irritable, and if you find that there's kind of relational tension, maybe at home, maybe at work, things are just a little bit off with the people around you, the first place that we need to look is right here. Am I just being selfish? Have I been just looking out for me and getting what I want and trying to take care of myself and my needs first? Can I just tell you, like, that's not who we are in Jesus anymore. In fact, this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. I've got it for you on the screen. Uh, he, he says this, do all things, everything, everything you do, do it without grumbling or disputing. But when you are focused on you, you're going to end up grumbling and whining. Because life isn't going to always go your way. And you're also going to end up uh, disputing and fighting. 
This is why we get into little spats with our spouse or with our roommate or with our coworkers or whoever it is, and we end up fighting over the dumbest little things, right? Because the issue is not the issue. It's not really the slice of pizza. At the root, the problem is my heart of selfishness. And what he's saying here in Philippians chapter 2, man, I wish that we could just unpack this. I wish we had more time for this. But, but the context of this, Paul has just said this, don't be selfish, but, but be humble and, and put others, uh, consider them more significant than yourselves. You're more important than me. You are more significant than me. And don't just look to your own interests, but also look to the interests of others. And then he tells us to have the same mind, the same attitude as Jesus. Jesus is our example to follow in this one. And Jesus said in John 6 that he is uh, the bread of life. And he didn't come and put his needs first and take. But he humbled himself and he gave his body to be broken for us. Listen, I'm not going to give you a bunch of steps to take on when you're complaining. But here's the solution. The solution to your bad, selfish attitude is to think deeply and to stand in awe of the humility of Jesus. To be humbled by the undeserved grace of God's goodness in your life. Which leads us to the third lesson here. Note this. We need regular reminders to rest and trust in Jesus. Let's just finish this out. Verse 22. Verse 22 says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay it aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So God's giving them some regular reminders. The first one is he... Uh, gives them the Sabbath day. 
And the Sabbath day is a day of rest. And I first just want you to note that this is before he's given us the Ten Commandments. This becomes one of the Ten Commandments. This is before that happens. So we really don't know if this has already been a a normal part of uh, their calendar, their weekly routine. But now God is saying this is an expectation for you. This is going to be a, a weekly pattern of work six days and rest one following the same pattern that God gave us in creation. So there's kind of this this rhythm that you're going to have and this regular reminder that we are completely dependent on God. I mean, think about it. This is going to take some trust, right? Because if you go out and you gather a bunch of manna and keep it overnight on Tuesday, by Wednesday morning, it's going to stank. But you actually have to keep it overnight on the sixth day because on the seventh you won't find any. Just proving that this manna was miraculous provision under God's control. So don't go out on the seventh day. How do you think they did with that test? Yeah, not so great. Verse 27 says they still went out. I mean, they still go out. And this is, this is not like when you pull up to the drive-thru and Chick-fil-A on a Sunday afternoon and you're like, like they, they didn't forget about this, okay? And the reason we know that is because God says, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? This was sin. This was rebellion. They're not trusting what God said. And God says, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It, it, it's a gift. He's given you this weekly helpful reminder from the Lord that, to, to, to help you know you're not self-sufficient. You don't have the ability to take care of yourself. But you can trust the Lord. Now, I know that when, when we come across things like this, I know that uh, for many of you the question is, um, do, do Christians uh, today have to keep the Sabbath day? It's a legit question. Um, I'm going to punt that one till we get to chapter 31, all right? Uh, we're going to deal with that more in depth when we get to chapter 31 and see that. Um, I will say this, we are not under Old Testament law, but I do think that there's some wisdom for us in having a, a rhythm of work and rest where I take some intentional time to set my mind on the Lord and, and, and remember how much I need him. It's actually going to counteract uh, my self-sufficiency, right? Believing that I can just put my head down and keep working hard and I can take care of myself and I can do this on my own. And, 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 and a lot of times, often, it also uh, uh, counteracts how quickly I can even make work an idol in my heart, something that I think is going to give me meaning and satisfaction. And, and, and I need that rhythm of work and rest that reminds me that I'm just a steward of all that God has given me. But ultimately, our rest is in the gospel. It's in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Because what that teaches me is that my life is not a perpetual self-improvement project to find meaning. But I am believing and resting in the finished work of Jesus for me. And my identity, my security, my provision is found in him. So they have a a, a weekly reminder. But then he gives them another reminder. He says, I want you to take some of that manna 
Man, that stuff was sweet. It would have reminded them of, uh, of the sweetness of, of God's provision. He says, I want you to take some of it and put it in a jar. But, but he says here in verse 34, I want you to put it before the testimony to be kept. Now, that's what we call an anachronism. An anachronism is one of those details that's out of place chronologically in the story because he's referring to something, he's referring to the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. That hasn't even been built yet. And the next verse, verse 35, he says uh, they're going to eat this for 40 years. That's assuming that you know the rest of the story, that the Israelites are going to mess up and they're going to fail to trust the Lord, and so they're going to have to wander for 40 years before entering into the promised land. But it's pretty cool. God's saying to them, I want you to take some of this. You put it in a jar, this, this bread from heaven, and it's going to be a, a, a visual object lesson that you get to keep that's going to remind you of how God provided for them for all those years in the midst of the wilderness. Now let me turn to Jesus. Because after, uh, after Jesus fed the 5,000, look at, look at what he said here in John chapter 6. Years later, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He is the one that satisfies. He is the one that sustains us. The irony of this story, he just fed 5,000 people, and they all want to come and make him king, and he starts talking like this, and the text says that the Jews that heard him grumbled, just like their forefathers in the wilderness. But for those of us who believe Jesus, we believe that he died for us. That means we are going to live with him forever. You see, that's why the, the, nothing else but the gospel is going to change the attitude of your heart. Because the gospel is what produces joy in us. So that whether you're riding high on the mountaintops of life and things are going great, or whether you find yourself down in the valleys, we still praise God. And we are filled with joy. And we trust him no matter what. Because we look to the cross, we look to the resurrection, and we know he's in control, and he is good. He loves us, and we have a good day coming. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for reminders. I pray, Lord, that we're going to become more like Jesus. We just confess this is, uh, we, we find ourselves uh, struggling here with this on a regular basis. Things aren't going our way. Life gets hard. We're inconvenienced. We're not happy, we're struggling, we're asking, we're praying. We feel like we keep asking the same things and uh, things don't seem to change. They're, at least they're not changing quick enough. And uh, Lord, we, we, we just confess that in our hearts we start to believe lies about you that, that's not true. And Lord, I pray that we would look to the gospel. We would look to that good news, that proclamation that Jesus came and he died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again and because of that, we have hope. We can experience your grace. We can experience your mercy. 
And Lord, we know that you are also the fulfillment of this. That all the other things that we're running after, all the things that we're chasing after, thinking that this is going to satisfy, this is going to give us meaning. If I could just have this, if I could just get my circumstances to change just a little bit, then life will be better. Lord, we just confess that none of that is going to satisfy. Only you do. And so we pray, as, as you said in Isaiah 55, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently and, and listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God, we just want to believe that you are better than that. So I pray that we would have a hunger and a passion to know Jesus. And that the more we get to know you, the more you're changing our hearts so that we look like you. We're becoming like you. And so that whether we're on the mountains or whether we're down in the valleys, no matter what it is we're going through, people see Jesus in us. We pray that you'll get the glory in that, that you deserve. It's in his name we pray.